0: you been 17 i am a vampire and you (laughs) are
1: mortal
0: (laughs) hello and welcome to this podcast sucks
1: the show where we take a bite out of the vampire genre
0: we'll be following all manner of fanged fiends through the past 127 years of film and television
1: from nosferatu to twilight I'm your host, Tara.
0: And I'm your host, Elliot.
1: All right. So today we will be talking about the pre-code 1933 film, The Vampire Bat, directed by Frank R. Strayer, written by Edward T. Lowe Jr., cinematography by Ira H. Morgan, and produced by Phil Goldstone and Larry Darmore. So the film stars Lionel Atwell as Dr. Otto Van... Vaughn Neiman, Faye Ray as Ruth Burton, and Melvin Douglas as Carl Bretschneider. So Elliot, had you had any knowledge or familiarity with this film before?
0: No, (laughs) absolutely not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't think that's very shocking. Neither had I. Um, So uh, just a little context about the film here. So (laughs) the film was basically made as sort of a quickie spooky film by majestic pictures to capitalize on the recent uh popularity of the horror film trend as popularized by universal monster movies such as dracula and frankenstein so this film was pretty much made as a quickie spooky film by majestic pictures um with the intent of capitalizing on the recent early 1930s horror boom popularity moviegoers as popularized by uh, the Universal Monster movie pictures such as Dracula and Frankenstein. So this film was made pretty quickly and some fun production notes about it. Uh, When it was made uh, they asked Frankenstein director James Wales to lease the peasant extras from the film (laughs) Frankenstein for the film. Which, I don't know, Elliot, maybe we can now assess if the movie has better peasant extra authenticity now. Um, (laughs) um, They also used quite a bit more from the Frankenstein films, such as the Frankenstein German Village set, which I thought was pretty cool, because it was a very nice set. And for the interior shots of uh, the Doctor's house, they used uh, the setting for the old dark house, which... um, Frankenstein Connection is another movie that has Boris Karloff in it, I believe. So the film was released on January 10th, 1933, and yes, it is that short. The official runtime was 63 minutes. And so uh, two of the stars in it, Faye Ray and Lionel Atwell, um, had already co starred in uh, the 1932 film Dr. X and had finished production on Mystery of the Wax Museum, which would come out later that month. So Majestic pretty much wanted to exploit the advanced press and was able to get the movie into theaters less than a month before Mystery of the Wax Museum was released. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. That's pretty much about all I could find regarding this film. Um... In terms of legacy, um, does it have one? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's a uh, legacy wise. It's pretty much part of the 1930s classic pre-code horror film trend, albeit a B tier one that was rushed by studios to capitalize on the trend. And there um, are actually some interesting themes, I think, that pop up mm-hmm. in the movie, which we will get into in a little bit. Um, particularly um, a theme that was emerging in films at the time regarding um, science, particularly the figure of the mad scientist Mm -hmm. and uh, topics of eugenics, um, which, as I said, we'll talk about a little bit later. But Elliot, what did you think? (laughs) Well, I think it's really... I had
0: no idea um, these kind of, like, production... Crossovers and relationships with Frankenstein, because when I watched it, um, I well, I think we're gonna be talking about Frankenstein a lot <laughs> while we talk mm-hmm. about this film, <laughs> because the the kind of similarities between the two go pretty far beyond the extras. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that for the most part, um, yeah, it is those kind of themes and the sort of subtext of the film that I found. A lot more compelling than like than things like the story or um, or the characters, <laughs> um, and yeah. there were some technical f- issues or you know like like you said it was made very quickly. But I, I found I will say that I found the cinematography like the camera movement especially to be there were some really nice moments of camera movement. But otherwise, I think you can tell that this movie did not necessarily have a lot invested in it.
1: Yes, I agree with that completely. When you read about the production history, you go, okay, that makes sense. And um, I, I also agree that the themes and some of the ideas that it introduces are much more interesting than the film itself because the plot is basically a whodunit and the characters mm-hmm. i mean calling them two-dimensional would probably be charitable um, yes <laughs> yeah we'll get we will get into that um not that not that some of them weren't you know giving it their all i respect that um mm-hmm. but yes it was a rushed film and it's it it was a film that i don't think was meant to like spark a dialogue <laughs> or um anything of that nature but like i said there's some interesting things that in terms of the vampire genre and where we are in terms of the vampire film that it does that's new and interesting and i think the the film is a bit of a trojan horse for some ideas which i think is cool and yeah so should we get into the plot yes uh, uh, such, such as, as it is, is. <laughs> yes, exactly exactly <laughs> okay um. Okay, so um, the film begins uh, plot-wise. Essentially, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the interesting initial shots, but the village, um, the village of Kleinschloss, um, has been experiencing attacks where uh, the townspeople are dying of blood loss, and mm-hmm. so. Some of the town fathers uh, suspect a resurgence of vampirism, but uh, police inspector Carl Bretschneider remains a bit skeptical. Mm-hmm. So I have in my notes here, uh, just even going back to the <clears throat> opening credits, I I wrote second picture of that in background during credits because Dracula did it. Although I like yes. this one more, it's much less Halloween party or party city. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah in terms of the technicalities like you were saying earlier with some of the camera movements i really like the pan down um Mm -hmm. from the clock tower which is the first image that we see Mm -hmm. and we start um with a a lot of low shots of buildings in the town you know leaves are rustling there's a lot of shots of bats the bat imagery in this film is quite quite a lot there's a lot of bats in this movie in case you forgot you were in case you forgot you were watching the vampire bat Yes. So, um,
0: and the bats are so, yeah, huge, like, not all of them, yeah. But in I that mean, first opening shot, I was like, Man, those are big,
1: <laughs> they're big bats. And given where the film was kind of going in the beginning, I was like, Okay, are they actually gonna have like a scientific bat related reason? It's not gonna be supernatural that they're doing. Um, But yes, we get a lot of really good atmospheric shots of this very nice uh, German village set, which, as we know, was also used in Frankenstein. And Mm -hmm. then we see a mysterious figure leaping on roofs like Batman, sort of. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was. When I still thought there was a vampire in this, I was like, okay, yay, we finally get our. Are vampires that spoilers, the spoilers, what do you mean there's not a vampire in this? <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Um I guess the film's <laughs> been out for over ninety years and I yes, shouldn't do spoilers yeah. like that. If you cared about
0: the vampire bat, you would have seen it by now. <laughs> yes,
1: we will we'll will put a hefty spoiler warning in our in our description for the episode. Um so so we get um we cut to the scene with all of kind of the town fathers or the town leaders, mm-hmm. and um they are all basically kind of in full paranoid superstition mode of like mm-hmm. vampires are at large, I tell you, and they're pretty um i think clearly framed in opposition to the detective um oh, what was his name again? uh carl i'm just gonna yes. call him yes yes to detective so carl who's names. very much <laughs> yeah who's very much of the rational modern man i'm a i'm mm-hmm. a scientist and mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah kind of i don't know if you um thought this was interesting as well but what i really liked was kind of in this uh, town meeting they aren't just being like oh my gosh no vampires that's definitely it uh they're bringing up these town records that refer to supposed vampire attacks in Mm -hmm. um they say 1643 uh which you know that's that's a thing that's um Mm -hmm. historically there have been periods um where there have been quote-unquote vampire panics uh in europe and i believe in the u.s as well even um where um you know deaths were happening or mysterious illnesses and Mm -hmm. uh vampirism was sometimes blamed on um a person who had died recently um and so i just thought it was kind of interesting that the town was bringing up whether this is true or not i don't think this is a real town but they were bringing up actual vampire attacks to kind of justify this paranoia um and you know the detective is counteracting that by saying okay well Mm -hmm. yeah there's vampire bats in south america so there's like kind of this initial like whoa okay they're actually like kind of sciencing here a bit
0: yeah i think what's interesting to me about this scene is how familiar it feels you know like even in nosferatu and then both dracula's um we tend to have these scenes where there's like a group of men sitting around Mm -hmm. a table debating and there's the sort of like um there's kind of always this tension, I think, of a bit more of, like, an urban versus rural or, like, a Mm. provincial versus kind of modern thing where there's always, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the, the older men who are kind of the ones who... And this isn't a town or maybe even a city, but, you know, they're the older generation. They're the ones who are, like, remembering the history. And then there's always, like, a younger kind of... And it's usually been, like, a police detective or inspector or something. But then there's someone who's like, you old superstitious fools. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. it, that in that way, it felt familiar. But I did... Um, you know i did think it was interesting that because in i think in dracula it was like the guy was like i think it's vampires because of the science and the science of vampires mm-hmm. um and in mm-hmm. this one they're like well it can't be vampires because there is no scientific evidence of like that's you know that's an urban legend or that's a myth um or even if vampires are real, that's not the problem here. Um, so you're right that there was it, there was an interesting kind of tension there between like, you know, the history and like and you know the science of the of that contemporary moment. I was going to say the future, but it's ninety <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I have here in my notes because I I didn't. The detective does come across as a little jerky in this mm-hmm. scene. Oh yeah, and then I wrote. <laughs> yeah i mean he's like body shaming one of them um and then i wrote um in fairness if i was a detective trying to solve multiple murders i too would probably be frustrated with the insistence of a supernatural answer like vampires yes
0: yeah yeah if i was a cop and there were like not that i would ever be that but if i was a cop (laughs) and like five people had died and everyone i talked to was like well, it's the ghost. I would be like, we need to, like, we we need to deal with this. <laughs> like, what? Like, take this seriously, <laughs> please. please.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, we next come uh, cut to the um, doctor. Let's see. Dr. Otto. Again, we're using first names here. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Otto's house and his uh, chemistry lab basement, which I write yay 1930s chemistry lab of beakers and dry ice yes um, <laughs> there's like we, one
0: like, flask that you see the whole there's time. like one
1: fl- it's like always randomly bubbling you don't yes. know what's in it <laughs> yeah um but you know it's it's a familiar sight and we love to see it mm-hmm. and then we get our introduction to the queen herself faye ray so um mm-hmm. for any of our listeners who don't know i went through um kind of a, a hardcore king kong phase um when i was <laughs> 10 or 11 Wow.
0: i was abs-
1: yeah well no like i'm serious it was over like it lasted well over a year but i was mm-hmm. obsessed with the peter jackson version and that's um kind of the movie that i was first really obsessed with and i remember kind of made me love films and the process of filmmaking because i remember for christmas i really wanted like the four disc special edition of it. And so it was just Mm -hmm. hours and hours of behind the scenes footage and, um, you know, documentary and production about the making Mm -hmm. of this film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just ate that up and I loved it. But I also, of course, consumed a lot of other versions. Um, one of which being the 19, um, I think, yeah, King Kong was 1931 or 32. Yeah, it might, might be 30. It's a pretty old movie. Um, But yes, I watched that one extensively in which Faye Ray starred as Ann Darrow and, you know, was Mm. kind of... She became a a bit of a a scream queen and she played uh, similar sort of roles in horror films after that. And so I was just happy to see her familiar face. She's so beautiful. And she's in the lab. And for a brief second, I was like, oh my gosh, are we having a female scientist here? But
0: I thought um, the same.
1: Nope, real quick awkward kiss and <laughs> by detective um uh, carl yeah, yes thanks,
0: carl. Okay. he really <laughs> but he like sneaks up on her
1: he sneaks up and then he does like granted we get a lot of those like hard quick kisses in like mm-hmm. 1930s film but yes he does sneak up and it's very sudden and i write oh damn quick kiss and mm-hmm. then is Faye a scientist no and then in my notes, God, I don't like this guy. You know he loves being the smartest person in the room.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and he continues uh, yes. to be pretty pushy throughout the film. Like he has, he has one moment in particular where I'm like, just chill out, Carl. <laughs> like, yes. just calm down.
1: Ye- yes, but we need a self-insert character for the the male audience members <laughs> of oh, the time. Yeah yeah pretty much but yeah so then um i believe trying to see from my notes of the summary um so i think this is when we cut to the other main character of scientist uh dr otto von nieman uh played by um his name was i believe yes lionel atwell so he is um, the scientist/ slash kind of doctor in the town. Um, he's really good with uh, the victims and cares for them. And he visits one of the patients, Martha Mueller, who has been losing blood um, due to a supposed b- attack by a bat. Mm-hmm. So um, And out of appreciation for her kindness, Martha is visited by a highly eccentric man named Herman Glebe. Who claims he likes bats because they are soft like cat and nice. And so I have in my notes Dwight Fry, yay, he's back, <laughs> king. And so for listeners who don't know, Dwight Fry played Renfield in the 1931 Bela Lugosi Dracula. Um, it's probably his most iconic role. It typecast him a bit. And so mm-hmm. he, afterwards, he was always kind of playing. I don't know, what's the term now? Weird little dudes. <laughs>
0: Weird little dudes. Yeah. I
1: think we're gonna Weird little dudes.
0: Yeah. I have a lot to say about Herman and when we get to yeah. him. Even that yes. description of him as a highly eccentric man I, I find interesting. Um yes. but this is a bit of a rewind to Lionel Atwill and Dr. Otto von Neiman. I feel like did you think he was hot? I felt like he was hot.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you're raising. I'm so glad you're raising the important questions here, Elliot. Because yes, yes, he he was hot. And while watching the film, I was getting such a Christopher Plummer Captain Von Trapp vibe from him, a bit. Like I could see it in the face a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, the
1: sound of music. I, no, oh, okay. I was
0: like, no, I haven't seen the sound of music. <laughs> um I'm not, like, you know this, I'm not a huge musicals person. So, yes, I've seen The Sound of Music, Mm -hmm. but it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yes, I thought I was surprised by how, like, sexy the villain was in this. Um, I guess that's a spoiler. But he's usually they try not to make the... Well, I guess Bela Lugosi is, like, hot in his own way. But, like, (laughs) with all the makeup and stuff, it's, like, less so. Um. yeah
1: here yeah here he this guy is just you know the hottest dude in the village and
0: yeah he and carl are in fierce competition with each other (laughs) under the surface no
1: like seriously watching like towards the end of the film i'm like oh my gosh Faye.
0: (laughs) yeah just get with Otto. yes yeah
1: I feel of course like he respects you. I feel like he respects you more he would probably be happy to have you as yeah you know, an assistant doctor teach you help you pass those med exams yeah. um, and she
0: seems to like him more like whenever Carl is yes, around oh, she's always like no pushing like, him up yeah, yeah like that's
1: that's another interesting thing we'll talk about but mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> so I uh, yes we have the introduction of Dr. Otto Um, the, uh, victim Martha, who is, um, slowly dying of blood loss, and the character of Herman, who, um, like, I believe it's, I I think this is pretty much in the text, who I believe is an an intellectually disabled character, or is Mm -hmm. at least implied to be. Um, so, yes, and the townspeople, um, let's see, are starting to, um, become more anxious and afraid of the you know who is causing this mysterious blood loss on Mm -hmm. the doctor's journey home he meets kringen one of the townsfolk who claims to have been attacked by the vampire in the form of a Mm -hmm. bat but withheld his story from the town in order not to spread fear Mm -hmm. so dr von nieman or dr otto as i should say encourages kringen to tell the townsfolk um his story and so kringen starts to become suspicious that Herman may be a vampire due to his obsession with bats and because Herman lives with bats and collects them off the streets. Uh Um, So this is when I have in my notes, okay, it seems like they're most likely setting Herman up as a red herring because if he's like actually the bad boy or not the bad
0: boy, the bad boy <laughs>
1: For freudian slip i'm sorry i just love the light so much um if he's actually the bad guy oh boy we're getting into like some problematic territory here um yes I, yes I,
0: I think we're in that territory and we'll get we into are this already, we're, yes, we're, we're already firmly in here. that territory yeah we but would, it be would more take it to a yeah like exactly.
1: another tumble into a further layer of problematic um yeah. yes if if herman was actually the big bad Uh so I wrote they're probably setting Herman up as a bit of a red herring we get some Uh more shots of bats again a prominent motif in this movie so yes when Kringin starts to suspect Herman and he's voicing these suspicions uh we get a shot of the townspeople kind of crowding around watching Herman which I didn't like um Uh Yeah, and Kringan says, He isn't human, I tell you. And it, i yeah. wrote it that it's interesting that Kringan, the only one who's wearing, I think, more kind of traditional quote unquote peasant or rural attire, yeah. is the one who says this. So Yes. Yeah, I don't what know is if that's a bit full... of visual shorthand. Yeah, it's like what the full line
0: is something it's uh ah, okay. I can't I can't find it, but um Yeah, there is some sort of weird line about him. Like, yes, he isn't human. I tell you, he's in league with the devil. Um, And yeah, I did not love that line either. And it is concerning that, you know, that Dr. Otto and Carl can both see the way that the townspeople are starting to scapegoat Herman and become obsessed Mm -hmm. with Herman and that none of them really like do much. Where they're like, "Oh, he seems like a nice guy. He brought an old woman a flower," and they're not. Yeah. But they're I not mean, really in Doctor Otto's case, else. it's good
1: for him. Well, in Doctor Otto's case, it's yeah. good for him. True. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, definitely scapegoat this guy because <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> Doctor Otto returns to his house, where uh, we come back to Ruth, whose Ray's Rey character. And is Carl's love interest, and we also—I mm-hmm. forgot to say—our um, meet her hypochondriac aunt, Gessie yes. Schapman, who I liked this woman. Yeah, I did too. She's she great. she was living in her she was living in her own world. She was just not yeah. bothering with any of this foolishness. Um, and so, uh, let's see. Fear of the vampire and suspicion of Herman has quickly spread around the town, and people start fearing him. And that night. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, That night, Martha Mueller, who uh, Dr. Otto had visited earlier, is killed. Mm -hmm. So um, I wrote, I really liked this uh, point of view tracking shot to Martha where the camera kind of slowly approaches and then quickly zooms in, sort of, and the Mm -hmm. shadow comes over her and she screams. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty effective.
0: I really like that shot as well. I noted it down too because, and I like the, it's pretty clever the way they do it. I think this is one of the first moments of foreshadowing where Otto is going through a doorway and we follow him through the doorway and then the cut is hidden and then we're in the pan to mm-hmm. Martha in the bed. So, like, that implied m- movement is, um, I thought was very nicely done. Um, There's some nice crane shots and things. So, like, whoever they got for the cinematography was um, really... Bringing something to the table that the director yeah. was not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, we've been so scarred by the Baila Lugosi like, oh, Dracula now whenever we see a camera move, like it's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, we're like amazing. <laughs> the Cameras magic of cinema. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. Some really interesting, nice shots in this movie, especially the one we were just discussing. So let's see. We then, um, Cut to um, Dr. Otto and another doctor uh, concluding that the death of Martha is the same as all the previous deaths, which is from blood loss. And there are two punctures in her neck, they say, caused by needle-sharp teeth. Interesting Mm -hmm. how it's like, clearly teeth. It's like needle-sharp teeth. It's not needles. It's it's needle-sharp teeth. (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds kind of like
0: small for teeth, you know? like
1: i i mean yes i know needles can be different sizes i don't That's know true. in the 30s they had much larger needles um possibly um yeah and i think this is the scene where i just i wrote this down it was so funny uh where carl the detective says i don't mind admitting that i'm up a tree stumped <laughs> <laughs> i just love it 1930s dialogue oh, man. oh nice. my gosh <laughs> Yeah, there was so, like
0: a there was an interesting interplay between like drama, horror, and comedy because there yeah. are definitely some comedic moments, and then obviously like Aunt Gussie, who is like a kind of played as a ridiculous hypochondriac. Um,
1: mm-hmm. oh, but yeah. I mean she gets the last word. Last. Yeah, she
0: literally she gets gets, at
1: the end yeah. of the movie, I was just like, oh okay, not totally distant at all. But I think yeah. that speaks to also uh, just you know. It being a Rush film, but also, you know, it's a studio film. And as we know, studio films appeal to every single demographic, basically. Yeah. So be a horror, be a drama, yeah. be a thriller, I, be a comedy. Yeah. And I think that's probably
0: also a technique to kind of avoid scrutiny in terms of like horror and graphicness of like Mm, oh we have this really possibly like horrific or violent moment and we're just gonna like undercut that or distract from that with a joke um
1: right kind of inserting this levity to as you say distract from the actual horror of what happened yeah the actual
0: interesting part
1: (laughs) the actual interesting part you know so you know we're not in any trouble and so Herman enters this examination by the two doctors, and, you know, there's a big crowd of the townspeople around them. Uh, he enters, and upon seeing the dead body, runs away screaming. Um, So, yeah, just checking my notes here. Uh, I think yes, I wrote, damn, Dwight. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, he was close to her, you know, like when the doctor's yeah. there to see her, he comes in, like we mentioned earlier, he gives her a flower, and... Um, the the nurse attending to her says like Oh he's here all the time um Like he You know apparently she was a very kind woman So Herman likes mm-hmm. to visit her And so um, I actually Thought it was kind of sweet that he sees That she's died and is so Upset by this
1: Yeah I mean Yeah it shows he's it's very He's very sensitive and it's yeah. A, yeah it's a pretty It's a heartbreaking reaction that Sadly, you know like the filmmakers are framing it as a oh, look how there's something wrong with him. You yeah. he the villain? They yeah, do this horrific thing. um yeah, and just kind of further going on with the problematic Herman pipeline here um, <laughs> the, the next morning. Pipeline. Yes, because, like, the next know, morning, yeah. um, Faye Ray's character, Ruth, is, you know, sitting in the garden all pretty, la-dee-da, because mm-hmm. that's what she does a lot. She sits and stands quietly. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, Faye, we still love you. Um, but, yes, and Herman, you know, kind of framed again. This is how the film is framing It's, like, very mm-hmm. creepily looking at her, yes. <laughs> like, through the gate, I think, and he gets, like, a creepy smile when he mm-hmm. sees her, Because, you know, the filmmakers want the audience to go, oh, no, like he's basically some kind of monster that's going to attack like the the pretty white lady. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so he sneaks in, I believe. And um, this, let's see, this is where um, (laughs) we come back to uh, Carl, Carl Marie. not their romance (laughs) because Carl approaches. And again, he's all about, you know, surprise kissing, I guess, this one. But, you know, Ruth is saying it's too early for kisses. And she's like cheekily trying to fend him off a bit. She says, close Mm -hmm. your eyes. She gets an orange room to kiss. I don't know. Maybe this was, you know, cracking audiences of 1933 up but
0: um. yeah it's like we do get the sense because she kisses him and she seems happy to see him sometimes but he he to me he just comes across as very pushy you know um like he kind of is like he definitely is in that mindset of of a bit of a like no means convince me um yeah yeah
1: um unfortunately common yes I do, you know.
0: but I will say I find the idea of, like, it's too early in the morning to kiss, like, <laughs> really funny. Like, you you never need a reason to not want to kiss someone, obviously. But just to be like, it's too early for, like, chaste, closed mouth kisses <laughs> on the terrace. <laughs>
1: I know, yeah, no, it's it's so funny, and it just you know makes me think that this woman is not really that interested, dude. Yeah. Um. So then we we get um the uh, um hypochondriac aunt comes out again. What was her name? I'm trying to remember her name. Gussie. Oh, Gussie. Yeah, Aunt Gussie. <laughs> yes, Gussie comes out again, and you know I I just love how funny she is. She's clearly like the overprotective, uh, parental figure for Ruth, and she's mm-hmm. like, you can't wait for me to be you know gone so you can have her and she's like well i'm not gone yet (laughs) so i wrote that i love this woman um so (laughs) we then cut to um dr otto and Mm -hmm. um let me see
0: one well there was actually another moment that i thought was kind of interesting is that Mm -hmm. before she comes out we see her Kind of going to the doctor and she's like oh no I think I have like a ventricular like thing and he's like oh <laughs> she, you mean she's your heartbeat always,
1: yeah yeah she's always listing these you know using the medical term mm-hmm. terminology for yeah things like heart yeah. palpitations
0: and then we cut back to Carl and Ruth and and he says to her you have a heart of stone so I thought that was mm-hmm. a funny that was a nice little moment of like they're talking about hearts in both scenes and um, yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. Mm-hmm. And so we have uh, Dr. Otto. Um, let's see. Uh, he is discussing with Carl and um, the, again, the topic of vampires. And I have in my notes, cool, Dr. Neiman is referencing an actual work. That actual work being, pulling up the title right here. So uh, it was, you know, the title's in French, and the doctor says the original French title in the mm-hmm. film. But the actual title is Treaties on the Apparitions of Spirits and on Vampires or Revenants of Hungary, Moravia, etc. by a monk called antoine Augustine Calme. Wow. And so, yeah, I thought Very that cool was really Very cool that you neat. hunted that down. I did. So... Yeah, I guess that was pretty much a text from. Let me see. It was written around, um, let's see, an 18, the eighteenth century. Yes, it says it was published in 1751, and this was, at least on, I'm assuming the part of the monks' view. Uh, he this was a scientific account of mm-hmm. the you know religious topics of things like. Angels and demons, but also supernatural entities such as ghosts and vampires. And kind of, I think, creating this sort of compendium of accounts of, you know, their occurrences in different parts of Europe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really cool. Dr. Otto is referencing this. And I think this is where the film introduces a really neat idea I hadn't thought about before, where they're talking about whether vampires are actually... in embodied form or they just um are the spirit of the corpse yes which i wrote was really interesting
0: yeah i also wrote that down because that's something that has kind of been this is the first time that it's been that explicit but that is something that's kind of come up in some of the past films of like oh they can pass through keyholes or walls or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like sometimes dracula can turn into like a cloud of like a fog Um, So I think it was interesting that they were talking about, oh, well, we have these murders and like people are losing their blood and like, could a murder be committed by something without a physical form? And so, yeah, it is an interesting kind of conversation that they have.
1: Yeah. And I just like that it made me think about, oh, wow, it it, it kind of. Uh, reintroduces I think like the philosophical um you know topic that is common in vampire media of like do we have souls anymore or not Mm -hmm. when we become a vampire and it's like this is just taking it to like even a further physical level of like when you become a vampire you don't even have your body anymore sort of you're just um as Dr. Otto puts it I think you reintegrate it essentially outside of the grave which uh-huh. Again, yes. so cool and interesting. Is this uh-huh. a
0: scene where he says um, an evil soul, if such a thing exists, can take any form? Yes. Yeah. And I yes. thought that 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 inclusion of if such a thing exists is really interesting.
1: Because it, he's a man of science.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it also makes sense for like <sighs> what we learn about him later in the film that he might be someone who whose morality system does, is not really built around good and evil the way most peoples are, mm-hmm. or the way most kind of religious right. um, kind of things are. So I thought that was a very interesting line, that there was this implication that evil might just not be a thing at all.
1: Yes, yes, I agree. And so then uh, the town fathers enter the house and announce that Kringen, the... Um, the character that was wearing uh, peasant uh, garb and who mm-hmm. thought Herman might be the vampire or the one causing the murders, um, they announced that he is dead and that Herman is missing. Mm-hmm. And so an angry mob begins to hunt Herman yeah. down. And, and this just, the whole scene made me so sad. Yeah, especially because <sighs>
0: Herman was not actually missing. Gussie had seen him right. in the yeah. garden, like. Mere moments before, and she didn't say mm-hmm. anything when these men were like Herman, like you know, she's died. Herman is gone. Like we we have to mm-hmm. hunt him down, and they even say what they're going to do to him. They say they're going to kill him and put a stake through his heart, and she mm-hmm. just stands there and watches, and she doesn't say that that she gave him an apple like a couple minutes yeah. ago.
1: Yeah. No. Uh. No one shows up for Herman in this movie, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, sad and kind of speaks to just attitudes and worries of the time, um. But yeah, we get our mob chasing Herman scene, and it's just it, again, it's just like sad because it's like this is you know was common ish in horror films of the time, but it's like these mobs were always chasing monsters <laughs> like yes yeah or supernatural kind of entities, and here it's into man which is very upsetting and problematic and yeah yeah it's like sad to see
0: (laughs) yeah it's you're right that we've had like this kind of reminded me a lot of renfield being chased but like renfield had kind of done in in nosferatu um like renfield had kind of like been surviving off of insects and is obsessed with drinking blood and was supernaturally powerful so Mm -hmm. you know like for herman it's like you're right he is just an intellectually or developmentally disabled man and so to Mm -hmm. have him you're totally right that this framing of the like a near identical scene to you know a gang chasing like a werewolf or something um, yeah or
1: frankenstein yeah yeah is pretty upsetting yeah and yeah i would argue even in some movies like you, you feel like you're framed your mate you're supposed to feel more sympathy for the monster like frankenstein mm-hmm. and yeah so uh they chase herman and herman uh i i believe intentionally leaps to yeah. his death Yeah. rather than being caught it is the second time we see dwight fry fall to his death and Although he says
0: yeah, he says Herman afraid multiple times before he jumps, which was really sad.
1: I need to see a movie where Dwight Fry is happy. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very sad and and it makes you angry. So Herman falls to his death. And that night, it is revealed that it is actually Dr. Otto what who has been causing <laughs> the murders and that he is actually How could he? Telepath- <laughs> did we miss any signs um <laughs> and that he's actually <laughs> telepathically controlling emil borst in very dr caligari and cesare fashion mm-hmm. um he is controlling emil borst Who? okay answer me this did we ever see this guy before?
0: No, no, the he guy came from he, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> yes, nowhere. Okay. I was like,
1: who is this I man? Was like, who is he? Yeah, yeah and everyone's like, oh, Emil, like, hello. Yeah, and it's like, we don't Hi, know Emil. him. <laughs> Again, like movies still needed to work out the kinks of how characters were introduced in movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he is seen telepathically controlling new character, Emil Borst. Um, and Emile picks up a, another sleeping townswoman, Georgiana, and takes her back to Dr. Otto's laboratory, where a strange organism is seen, and they then drain her blood mm-hmm. from her neck. So Organism um, is a
0: strong word for what we see.
1: <laughs> for a breathing sponge. Um,
0: yes, so, in a fish tank.
1: In a fish tank. Um, it was kind of reminding me of um have you seen the Iron Giant?
0: Like the the kids movie?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there, there's well, there, like it takes place in the fifties during you know the Red Scare and the Cold War yes, and everything. Yeah. And so, like, there's a scene where Hogarth's watching like a B science fiction oh, film. Oh, of course, and there's like that weird and like, there's like, the that sponge thing. Yeah, it's a brain, isn't it? A brain. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. that is what this scene was making me think of. That's so um, funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: and so I just have in my notes. Okay, we're using the POV shots again for when this person is being telepathically controlled, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. really liked the cross uh, cutting between Dr. Otto, who's doing the mind controlling. He's kind mm-hmm. of sitting at his desk and, you know, just staring blankly out and voicing his commands to mm-hmm. the action that's happening. It's like interesting where he's she's no better than the rest. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah which, again, feeds back into this um, uh, kind of superiority thing. And this, mm-hmm. I live outside the ends of justify normal... justify the means. The ends justify yeah. the means. I live outside of um, a normal moral code that most people have. Mm-hmm. Um, so we come, yeah, and then we're back in the laboratory again with all of our beakers and dry ice. And I write, what's that weird breathing pod in the water? Yes, <laughs> and, that blob? Uh, what is that sponge? Then I write, whoa, it's getting medical horror here, which I think this movie is it is pretty this movie is pretty much a vampire film as a trojan horse for a mad scientist yes film.
0: yeah i would totally agree with that that the idea of vampires is sort of like the tease to get you in the room um right yeah because
1: you know they're popular um but yeah this is um more accurately <clears throat> excuse me this is more accurately a mad scientist horror film and then i also just write in my notes wouldn't it be less work to just have your minion drain her blood while she's in her bed i wrote the same thing of like kid yeah kidnapping a person
0: bringing them to the basement lab (laughs) draining their blood and then bringing them all the way back to where they were kidnapped from is like such an incredible amount of work (laughs) and it's like it is yeah and like at the time i don't think that this is an interesting question but like we definitely did not have DNA evidence. Um, that was decades to come. But And I don't... Did we... I think we might have had fingerprints, though. So... Um,
1: yeah, I think fingerprints were a thing, then. That...
0: Let's see here. I'm on the wiki page. Because, like, it's not only is it a lot of work, I guess, thinking from the... Because this guy is basically a serial killer, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Or, like, you'd think that he... he like, he doesn't seem fully insane in the sense that he's not aware of the fact that people might be trying to figure out these murders um so you'd think that there would be some consideration of like do I want to leave evidence like and clearly he he stokes the fires of the suspicion of Herman so Mm -hmm. it's just a ridiculous amount of um of work to go through (laughs) um but I think maybe Hmm, history there we go history oh wow okay so it goes pretty far back but in terms of um like actually using them for uh kind of record keeping and maybe criminal investigations um it would have it looks like it would have been like the late late 1800s um Mm -hmm. so fingerprints would have existed then um but you know i think that they probably wouldn't have been in full usage you know um like that integration yeah the first case using fingerprints for identification and arrest and conviction was in 1902 um so Mm. that's a that's a little aside but i totally agree (laughs) i was just like this is so complicated
1: yeah no i absolutely and I, I mean, I don't even think it's an issue of... Well, only the lab has the specific medical equipment we need. It's like, you just need mm-hmm. her blood. You can bring... bring just need a knife and a and bucket. <laughs> 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 do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> do, yeah, do it the very let the right Wha- one in way. Of, yes, like, why does he them think he's- <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yes, <laughs> chilling. Hoisting them upside down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll get to let the right one in. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so then let's see. Carl discovers Georgiana's body in her bed, and Dr. Otto and Carl investigate and find Martha's crucifix, which Herman had had the night Dr. Mm -hmm. Um, Otto visited her. Mm -hmm. So Carl is now starting to become more convinced that, okay, maybe it is a vampire in the village? Because they're kind of exhausting all plausible yes. explanations. And I yeah. think while they're discussing this, um, they're in Dr. Otto's house. Uh, Ruth is there as well. This oh this moment. Uh, and they have coffee. And Dr. Otto just says to Ruth, will you pour? And I write in my notes, "Ugh, well, she is a woman. Got to make her good for something. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is because Uh, I was so excited when I thought that she was, that the lab was hers. And so, you know, I, and I was like, like, yeah, yeah. And I was hopeful that maybe she would have things to do because, you know, she, she's Mm -hmm. not a total pushover as we see with her relationship with Carl. So, you know, she kind of just, but she is. On, um, on, um, yeah, it sucks, but she is kind of just there to be pretty in a lot of instances. Yes,
1: yes, like a lot of um, female actors in movies at that time. That's not to, uh, yes, Favre is essentially a sexy lamp in this movie. Yes, but also I want to stress that is certainly not to negate a lot of the work that these leading um actresses were doing in these horror films at the time there is a really great book um that i read when i was doing a project in my master's program called women in horror films in the 1930s um that kind of does profiles on 21 of these actresses and the movies they were in like Mm -hmm. frankenstein dracula king kong things like Mm -hmm. that and it um it Details really like it, it fleshes these women out as like mm-hmm. professionals, people yeah. who like knew the business they were in mm-hmm. and knew the roles they were playing. And kind of like it, just it's like a really interesting deep dive into like the process of making these films. Because, yes, while we would like to, you know, in 2024 see more depth in our female characters, yeah. like they were still doing good work and they were creating, um, I would say, still memorable characters or providing memorable performances within the confines of the characters that they had because that's the thing with a lot of these horror films there was always a damsel pretty much
0: yeah and she is mm -hmm. not a bad actress in this role and this is like she it's not a bad character it's just it's just a bad role like they just didn't give her anything to do (laughs) yeah i mean like this is one of the
1: worst of the like the 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 poor examples of those kinds of roles Mm -hmm. um yeah, no, like, there are some... Like, again, Fay Ray and King Kong. Iconic mm-hmm. performance. Iconic scream. um Yeah, and other actors. um But yeah, also, a side note, I just really love Ruth's dress in this scene. I was like, oh. <laughs> it's just, like, the black yes. and white. She's very beautiful
0: throughout her. the whole film. It was.
1: It, yeah. Yes, she is. And the dress, was, she was wearing it well. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so but something else I also wrote in my notes. I don't know if you caught this as well, but... Uh, this is, even though we know it is not a vampire who is committing these murders, I wrote that what's interesting is that up to this point, it's really only been older women that yes. have been, that we have seen die. Yeah, And so that's uncommon because in most vampire media, it is, I feel like typically more so women that are mm-hmm. preyed upon. And it's typically younger men. But yeah, in both cases, men or women, they are typically young. Yeah. Kind of feeding into this idea of like youth, blood, life. And so, yeah, it was interesting that these um, two characters that we know were killed by Dr. Otto were older women. So, yeah, it's
0: it does. It is interesting because he clearly sees himself, as we talked about, as this person who's like above others and that like the rules shouldn't apply to him. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting that he preys on the women least able, the people least able to defend themselves. And it's like, it speaks to his cowardice, you know, and his Mm. cruelty that he's like, you you know, that these are the people in society that he views as most disposable is like elderly women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Carl hears about Herman's death, more accurately murder um and his conviction that it his conviction that it's a vampire pretty much is like oh okay no what's going on here dr otto tells carl you know go home take a sleeping pill and i (laughs) wrote in my notes (laughs) he takes out a bottle and in all caps it just says poison Poison. i was screaming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes oh it's
0: very gosh. very reminiscent of vampire and the same yes, thing I've been that yeah, too. i was like this but it's like bottle. 10 times
1: worse it's like yeah. in case you didn't know from the skull and crossbones what we have yeah. it in all caps for you here and, and it's then like, underneath just... it says sleeping
0: pills and it's like okay <laughs> well like, um, like the eternal well, sleep <laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so that was yes so yes um yeah so clearly dr otto is planning to kill him take his blood um burton and again this is the character that was introduced literally like two seconds ago we don't know who he is but he is the one dr otto controls telepathically um Mm -hmm. wait no okay my summary here is saying burton is different from borst who dr otto telepathically controls okay i'm I just gonna assume burton, burton is like i think burton is, is the like guy a town's comes,
0: yeah i think he's the guy who comes to tell them what happened <sighs> to herman okay. and okay. they and then he says and then carl is like well right. that doesn't make sense because like we just found the body of this woman and he immediately is like what have we done and it's obviously too little too late but he's clearly like what have we done like this is shameful and he he says that he's going to go recover Herman's body for a proper burial because it's the least they okay. can do.
1: Yeah, um, I mean Car- Carl was showing up for Herman a bit there, so yay, <laughs> but um, a little little too late. Um, yes. <laughs> so eh, Burton Borst, they both start with B. So um, Burton discovers Doctor Otto telepathically controlling Borst, who is at his house, and it is revealed that Dr. Otto has created an artificial life form in blood to feed um, this organism. So, okay, wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Again, this is what happens when your summary uses last names. Burton is the last name of Ruth. Okay, so we're talking oh, about Ruth here. Oh,
0: okay, cool. Yes, because I was thinking, yes. doesn't Ruth
1: find him? Yes, yes. So, um, so, kind of coming back to when Dr. Otto is doing his telepathy again, We get the slowly the POV shot, the slowly Mm approaching figure. Well, actually it's not a POV shot. I think it's a shot of Carl in bed. It's kind of a uh,
0: Oh, and he's smoking in bed, which I fucking loved. (laughs) I was like, yes, this is everything. Doesn't (laughs) give a fuck. Yeah, he's like in his (laughs) massive four poster bed and he's got a
1: cigarette. (laughs) God knows um, how old all the fr- like that house yeah. has a burn rate, Elliot. I guarantee you of two minutes. Yeah, like, at,
0: at best. But the at glamour um, of it.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't smoke in bed, kids. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Don't the indoors. <laughs> Y- yeah, <laughs> even better. Um, so we see um, the the slowly approaching Borst, who is being telepathically controlled, which was so reminiscent of the shot of Nosferatu, I felt like, when he was approaching yes, yeah. Thomas in bed. And so then we see that Ruth has caught Dr. Otto in his moment of telepathic mind control. Mm-hmm. Oops. Um, <laughs> and so he notices her, comes out, and she's just like very dramatically, you, you are the one. And I just yeah. wanted Dr. Otto to be like, surprise, bitch. Um, yeah, <laughs> so. he doesn't,
0: yeah, he has like no reaction. That would have been that just like no matter how anachronistic that would have been it would have been better than what actually happened i mean the directing is just like he just stares at her
1: and then kind of like grabs her
0: face sort
1: of yeah i mean like you know it's lionel atwell he's like i'm a british thespian here i'm gonna i'm gonna start using that he goes like full like 180 mad scientist like life i've created life like full like in our mad scientist mode because that's like that's what happens when you're a villain and you have to be nice you're nice and then when they find out you're not nice complete 180 you're a different person
0: yeah i did like his line he has like (laughs) you're right that he has this kind of moment where he gives this like little monologue almost and and one of the lines that he's that he had that i really liked was i have lifted the veil um, mm, and I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. Um, I liked that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a yeah. good little little mad scientist speech. Um, so he ties Ruth up in the lab with the intent of draining her blood, and then Bo- Borst, his little puppet, uh, enters yes. with Carl's the body puppet. on a truck the meat puppet, enters with Carl's body on a trolley. So Dr. Otto walks over to Borst, who is then revealed to actually be <gasps> Carl, who did Ta-da! not take the pills from the large bottle that said poison on it. Um, yes, good, yeah. You know, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, so he was uh, Borst in disguise and the yes. real Borst was on the trolley. Mm-hmm. So Carl pulls a gun on Dr. Otto and walks yeah. over to untie Ruth. Dr. Otto then wrestles with Carl, who drops the gun. And as the two fight, Borst uh, picks up the gun and shoots Dr. Otto before shooting himself. Oh, my Mm -hmm. goodness. So in my notes, I was still pretty confused who Borst was. And so I just Mm -hmm. wrote, who is this third wheel? In my, (laughs) who is this third wheel? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And so, yes, Dr. Otto is killed and defeated. Mm-hmm. Ruth and Carl embrace the breeding pair can go forth unfettered. And then mm-hmm. we end with Gussie, the ant coming down saying she's having some like indigestion or probably some, you know, extreme medical mm-hmm. stomach condition. And she says the name of what Dr. Otto gave her. And Carl's like, Oh, those are Epsom salts. And he and Ruth laugh End film. Yeah. Yeah. It's, very very
0: bizarre because like they <laughs> totally because dissonance. yeah because like the fight in the laboratory basically like um emil is passed out on the trolley and so there's this he when the scuffle happens he jolts awake and to me at least the implication is that he has like fully awoken yes. from the hypnotism and remembers all the things that he's done and then when he picks right. up the gun and shoots Otto and himself, to me, which also we only hear that, um, he kind of tells Carl and Ruth, he's like, "Escape, go!" And then they oh, hear, that's the, right. yeah, and then they hear the gunshots because the idea that someone could kill someone and then themselves on camera is like that's that would have been a lot. For yeah, the
1: time. yeah, you definitely um, could not show. Um, yeah suicide on
0: yeah but i thought that that's like a that was really kind of you know that was like very poignant and for like a character that came from nowhere (laughs) to then have this really intense moment of like the, such intense guilt and shame that he would kill himself and then there's just a joke about like oh silly women
1: <laughs> yeah silly women but also oh that classic aunt gussie um yeah yeah and kind of going back to borst a bit who um dr otto's little underling thing it, it keeps with sort of this interesting trend of like the big bad or the monster's little servant yeah has to die kind of in the narrative um yeah. they might have a you know not a change of heart even because what's interesting is like these characters are often victims <laughs> and yeah. um you know they they did not want to murder um or kill yeah. um in like poor renfield's case his mind was basically overtaken by a supernatural yeah. entity um but yes, they often die um, and maybe have kind of a, a moral crisis or they're like, oh, I'm awake now and I can help the good guys. Um, but yeah. So and then we get the very tonally dissonant ending.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So that was the vampire bat. Elliot, what did you think?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's one of those things where like, it's just really interesting to see the way that storytelling has changed because like, yes, there is a plot to these films, but I feel like I'm seeing like a collection of scenes and moments and less like I'm being carried through a story. You know, we're like, we're saying like, Mm. we don't get introduced to people. We don't get any sense of their lives or their interiorities of like, what are they thinking and feeling? Um, And so, that was something that is, you know, it'll be interesting to see when we start like learning who people are beyond their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah. But I think for me, like one of the things that really sticks out about this film that i had, you know, that I wrote some stuff about in my notes is just um, the kind of little window into portrayals of intellectually and developmentally disabled people in media. Um, yeah because you know it's clear that it's clear that that is what Herman is meant to be. You know we have this we have this moment where when he there we've talked about a few moments, but there's this other moment in the garden where he and Gussie are interacting. And he cuts his finger, and she says, "Oh, you need to be careful about that, like subcutaneous, subcutaneous laceration, because that's how you get like, I can't remember, tetanus. but she says the yeah, she says the scientifically proper name for tetanus, and then she says, the way you talk, it's you have it sounds like you have it already, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, so yeah, and I think you know, I think some of the things that are. You know, there's so much going on there. And I mean, the first is obviously that this is like, uh, like very, very insensitive um, and ableist. But it's also like, in, you know, it's very inaccurate. Like, I would say that this is very much the public's idea of a person with a developmental right. or intellectual mm-hmm. disability, um, which makes sense because at the time and still to this day, but even more so at the time. Our approach to disabled people in general but um, was to keep them out of the public eye you know so at this time period we had things called the ugly laws um, which is basically like regulating an ugly person's ability to be in public um, oh my God. yeah and so like ugly would mean um, you know people with Um, physical differences, um, I don't want to use the word deformity because I think that that's like, um, a word Mm -hmm. that a lot of people have, you know, like, are you really deformed if you like, you know, are missing a limb or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there were those laws that kind of regulated what spaces you could appear in. And then for specifically intellectual and developmentally disabled people, um, A lot of those people spent their whole lives in um, like, well, either kind of very secluded in the home with their families um, or in poor houses, which were like state facilities. And then there were also psychiatric institutions that were called like, um, like schools or hospitals or homes for the quote, like feeble minded. Um, And so you know that was like a diagnosable thing you know like science has come a long way so you know at the time Herman probably would have been read as someone who might have been diagnosed as feeble-minded or an imbecile or an idiot Um, I actually happened to do some archival research as part of an internship where we looked at records from a famous psychiatric institution in Pennsylvania called Penhurst, um, And so many of the records, the diagnosis was just like idiot or imbecile or, um, and this is like, um, this is a term with an especially kind of violent and complicated history, but you would see the term mongoloid a lot,
1: oh my um,
0: God. Yeah. which was an early term. Well, the, the term's origin is from, um, you know, biological racism And But then it kind of had, like, a second life as a term for, um, you know, people with Down syndrome and um, associated developmental disabilities. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like, Herman is absolutely played for jokes. He's absolutely, like, played for, you know, a plot device to, like, keep us guessing about who the villain is. But I think that he is really representative of like the, the like some of the really ugly parts of this country's history when it comes to you know the treatment of disabled people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sadly that's very true and I would agree that it is absolutely a reflection of society's attitudes to um the disabled or differently abled at the time, which is very sad and still far too recent and i think in our history yeah um, there are people who remember
0: yeah there are people who remember being patients at penhurst and like talk about the things that happened there yeah and they're not Mm -hmm. even that old these
1: people yeah it's pretty horrific um yeah yeah and uh kind of another thing or um another trope that this film utilizes that has um again, kind of horrific real-world connotations or um, it's sort of coming from that place is, uh, you know, I say the term the mad scientist, which is, it's a name for a a trope of a character who is a scientist that that is, um, you know, kind of disassociated from reality in terms of, like, wanting to achieve something impossible Mm -hmm. or great, and they are often they eventually or always using unethical means to do so. Yeah. And so I found this really great um horror website um and I think it was started by um an academic Karina Wilson mm-hmm. and there was a section on 1930s horror movies and uh she um, writes here I'm going to quote from the website and mm-hmm. uh, just a content wording for racism and unethical medical practices and torture. Um, Mm -hmm. But she writes in regards to kind of this trend of the mad scientist. Dr. Frankenstein wasn't the only man trying to defy God and nature. Mad scientists pop up frequently in this decade's horror films. This reflected the ongoing cultural fascination with eugenics. The idea that the only way to prevent a future catastrophe for the human race was by selective breeding of the genetically superior and the forced sterilization of those with undesirable genetic traits. Mm -hmm. The Nazis weren't the only ones who agreed with this thinking. Many prominent citizens from leaders at the Carnegie Institution and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation to President Roosevelt himself put time, money, and energy into the eugenics cause. At the same time, the U.S. Public Health Service felt there was nothing wrong in conducting the now infamous Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment, which ran from 1932 to 1972, on 399 unsuspecting Black Americans, 128 died, 40 wives were infected, and 19 children born with congenital syphilis. Mm -hmm.
0: yes i think that's a really really great thing to bring up because like even though this film is entirely about white people like this the things that i just talked about with herman a lot of those things can be traced back exactly to the racism and the racist violence um and exploitation that you're talking about Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and um yeah, in regards to the Tuskegee Medical Syphilis Experiment, I think it's Tuskegee. You... Tuskegee. I'm I'm sorry for the mispronunciation, Tuskegee. Um, but yes, you can read about it more online. But essentially, again, I'm just paraphrasing a little bit uh-huh. from Wikipedia here. It says that the Public Health Service um, started the study in 1932 in collaboration with Tuskegee University, a historically mm-hmm. black college in Alabama. In the study, investigators enrolled a total of 600 impoverished African-American sharecroppers from Macon County, Alabama. Of these men, 399 had latent syphilis, with a control group Mm -hmm. of 201 men who were not infected. Mm -hmm. As an incentive for participation in the study, the men were promised free medical care. While the men were provided with both medical and mental care that they otherwise would not have received, they were deceived by the PHS who never informed them of their syphilis diagnosis and provided disguised placebos, ineffective methods and diagnostic procedures as treatment for bad blood Mm -hmm. Um, the men were initially told that the experiment was only going to last 6 months but it was extended to 40 years Um, none of the infected men were treated with penicillin despite it being available in 1947 Mm -hmm. so yes, uh, basically a, a form of I would say genocide or mass murder was being committed here, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, it's incredibly horrific, but yeah, it, it should be known. It like this needs to be mm-hmm. part of our knowledge of history. And, yes.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people do know about the Tuskegee mm-hmm. experiment, um, but probably not the full details. And um, people are also probably not aware that that experiments uh, experiments I say um, like really kind of sadistic games I would argue that things like that happen like in prison as well you know Mm -hmm. like that was another very common population for deeply unethical kind of like pointless I would argue scientific experiments you know was like the populations of incarcerated individuals again largely Um, largely black and, you know, people of color. And then also, you know, you mentioned forced sterilization. Um, That is another kind of massive thing that people know very little about in American history is that, um, you know, we we might think of forced sterilization as something that happens in other places or during events like the Holocaust. And it's like, well, actually, you know, like it wasn't uncommon for – immigrant women to be sterilized without their knowledge um during like births or surgical procedures where you know like while they were under a surgeon would just like give that person a hysterectomy or give that person a tubal ligation and they would never know until maybe they tried to have a child in the future um and you use the term undesirable in the quote like the the word undesirable appeared in the quote and like that is a word that appears in legal texts and documents and was actually like, you know, bringing it back to, um, these like, you know, poor houses or these, um, like homes and schools for the quote unquote feeble minded. A lot of times, one of the ways that a person could end up in those situations was if the court mandated it. So you might even see a court transcript that describes a person as undesirable and therefore like fit for commitment um you know like oh this person isn't desirable for the public space this person is we don't want this person to have like a normal life and a family and children so um yeah all of these things are like very mm-hmm. much interconnected and i um it's really interesting that that this you know that you found this source um because I had not necessarily thought about the connection between these events and this genre of the mad scientist.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And like I hadn't either until I I read that little excerpt and went, Oh yeah, it, you know, you know, media doesn't exist in a vacuum. The stories Uh we tell don't come from nowhere. They are influenced by the culture and cultural interests and societal norms at the time. Yes, as we've been talking about at this time, there was a lot of fascination with eugenics, um, Mm -hmm. but there was also a lot of unethical medical practices, Mm -hmm. sterilization, experimentation, straight up just murder. Um, Yeah. And like, you know, kind of like as Karina Wilson points out in the excerpt, you know, in the most extreme case, the Nazis with their fascination with superior races. And so you Mm -hmm. see how at the time humanity was defined by those in power and those with privilege and mm-hmm. how they were using that definition of who has humanity yeah um to delineate who does not and it's pretty horrific yeah um the outcomes of that
0: yeah and i mean mentioning the holocaust is like i think also an important point because um very very obviously, like, the primary target of the Holocaust and mass killings was, like, people of the Jewish faith um, mm-hmm. and, you know, Jewish people. Um, but there were other populations targeted, and the disabled were also yes. a group targeted by the Nazis and targeted um, for mass extermination, including autistic people. And I, they were actually called, like... There's this documentary or there was like they were described as like bodies without souls um, and that it was actually merciful to kill an autistic person.
1: I Um, love the irony of like a Nazi mandate saying these are people without souls. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. And fun fact, this is actually the origin of the of asperger's which is no longer a diagnostic term or like a diagnosable oh, thing I not because know yeah because there was this doctor who was um i don't know like the full details of this but what what i my understanding is that there was a doctor who was kind of involved in these efforts and like studying intellectually and developmentally disabled people and he was kind of in charge of like who got to live and who didn't and he essentially differentiated between good autistic people and bad autistic people and that he was like well there are some people who are autistic but like not that autistic so like they don't really need to go to the chambers or be removed from society in the same way. And so that – like, and a lot of people – I didn't know this for many, many years. I don't think people know that this is where that term came from. So now in the DSM-5, Asperger's is not included. It is – everything is under um, autism spectrum disorder. Um, Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, like it's it's incredible that those things can go so unexamined um, Mm -hmm. and that they can – fly so under the radar because like we have this predisposition to be like oh science empiricism like this is the facts this is the data like we should trust scientists and it's like Mm -hmm. well scientists are people and people have biases and people have prejudices and people are fallible to Mm -hmm.
1: systemic Mm -hmm.
0: oppressions and they will bring that lens to their scientific work and twist it and pervert it to suit those prejudices.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of in conclusion, um, sort of coming back to the film a little bit, would you consider this a vampire movie? That is so this is
0: such an incredible question. Um Yeah, I mean, wow, because we did decide in the first mini episode that Well, no, we decided that a vampire has to consume blood to sustain life, which they maintain in the film, but there is no vampire. Um, I think that. This is a good question. Um, (laughs) I think that. I think that this is still. I'm going to say that I think this is still a vampire film. Um, just because mm-hmm. we spend so much of the time, like, looking for a vampire and, like, talking about blood-drained mm-hmm. victims
1: and stuff. Mm-hmm. What is yeah, your thought? I, uh oh, it's hard, because I'm, I'm leaning more towards no, because mm-hmm. there is no actual vampire <laughs> in the movie. Yes. <laughs> There's no vampire in the movie, but, um... I mean, as you said, it is a prominent theme, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of discussion on uh, vampires from kind of a scientific basis and their validity. There's a lot of vampiric motifs, like the bat. Um, I mean, you could argue the doctor is acting in a vampiric way by essentially draining blood from... yeah. Victims to give life to this yes. new life form,
0: feeding on society. Yes. yes, wow.
1: So I think, gosh, I don't know. I'm gonna lean more towards. I'm gonna say no, mm-hmm. but I I understand your perspective, and if someone would classify this as a vampire mm-hmm. film, and yeah, you know, it vampire I guess doesn't even have to be in it. It's the, the theme of the vampire. <laughs> Or the message of the vampire is true and strong. Yes, the message. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I can.
0: I guess maybe a relevant question is would would you consider this a Frankenstein ripoff? Ooh. Because I think that Herman can very easily Mm -hmm. be read as like um, a stand in for or a reference to Fritz in Frankenstein, which only came out two years before this.
1: Yes. And Dr. Otto is very clearly um, a a mad scientist in the vein of the 1930 um, to Dr. Frankenstein especially with the whole, like, I am creating life and I mm-hmm. am God and this kind yes. of moral superiority. So, yeah, I would, I I would made see much sponge. more as a Frankenstein. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, like, he is so proud of this sponge that he has. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. you've made life? Have yeah. you? How long does that take to incubate? Yeah, you made a blob. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Um, um, so, yes and yeah that's kind of my my final thoughts personally i don't think it's a vampire film but i think it's uh it's a b mad science scientist film mm-hmm. from the early 30s that trojan horses with the vampire trend at the time
0: yeah yeah it's definitely it's an it's an interesting film in it's because <laughs> it might be the case that because i think that one thing in film studies especially recently um that especially in the horror space is that we're kind of in a post-genre world now um so it's also mm. entirely valid to just be like this film might not have a genre and might be like a collection of references to familiar genres
1: right mm. Mm. hmm this this this
0: one's a weird one it's kind of this one's hard to kind of put in a specific spot
1: it is and yeah in the grand scheme of all vampire media which we will be covering i don't see myself coming back to this one or holding it in my brain space for no. much longer <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we've um, given it all yeah, the it,
0: attention it deserves
1: <laughs> yeah it is interesting how um we are kind of coming out of I think the early initial I guess I would say maybe sort of art house phase of early vampire films with movies like Nosferatu and Vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, even international vampire films like mm-hmm. the um, Spanish language Dracula. And I think now we're getting into like more of the like Hollywood studio system, crank them mm. out.
0: It's about <laughs> kind the blood of... now.
1: Yeah. Like lesser known um, vampire f- films from this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, All right. yeah, I am going to be so curious to see what you have to say about um next week's film kind of in i think it's a really interesting follow-up to some of the weirdness Mm. of of this film Mm -hmm. um yeah
1: i'm so excited yes all
0: right well thank you for listening to another episode of this podcast sucks
1: find us where you get your podcasts on spotify apple music and youtube follow us on social media and give us a like
0: you can find us at That Pod on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, stay bloodthirsty.
1: Catch our next episode on Todd Browning's Mark of the Vampire.